We live in a society that is intent on profiting off of addiction, aided by federal government that seeks to foster dependency on every front. These two trends bleed together in today's topic on Concerned Women Today. From the nation's capital, this is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Hi, I'm Penny Nance, the CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, and thank you for joining us on Concerned Women Today. The question today that we're going to discuss is the legalized recreational use of marijuana. It was on the ballot forms this cycle, this election cycle, and it is something that's being hotly debated around the country. It's legal now in more than a dozen states, and the effects of legalization is being felt acutely on society. Joining me today and to unpack all of this and really to help us get a good understanding of where we are on this issue, where the country is, what's the trends, um, what's the fallout, is a great man, Kevin Sabet. Um, Kevin, I welcome to Concerned Women Today. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you, Penny. Well, I appreciate you joining us. First, I'd like for you just to tell our audience who you are and kind of what you've done, because you have such a great bio. I was looking um, at just how uh, deeply influential you've been on this issue and how much you know about this issue. Sure. So I got involved in this issue as a teenager, uh, wanting to be more active in the anti-drug movement. And uh, I, um, I have two older sisters and a very strong mother who always pushed me and, and were role models for me, actually wonderful women in my life. Uh, and now that extends to my wife and, and our only child who is a daughter. So, uh, just, it, you know, had those experiences and then got my PhD from Oxford in public policy. And since then I've served in three different white house administrations. So I, I was briefly in the Clinton administration. And then I was a senior speechwriter in the Bush administration. And then I was a senior advisor in the Obama administration, all on drug policy. And I really come at it from a nonpartisan point of view because, you know, drugs affect all families. This should not be a partisan issue at all. And then in 2013, Congressman Patrick Kennedy, David Frum, and others founded SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana. I'm the president and CEO of that organization. And we believe that you know, we shouldn't be putting people in prison for marijuana, but we also shouldn't be legalizing it. And it's not good for families. Uh, it's not good for society to be promoting and glorifying today's very high potent marijuana. So that's my life's work now. Well, and so you're not a right winger. Like you're a guy who really comes at this uh, in a policy driven yeah. perspective and have worked in a bipartisan manner. You must have been, you were a kid. I read something called you a prodigy. When you were working for Clinton, you were just a kid, yeah, right? I, I was. I was. Uh, I, it was the last year of the Clinton administration. I was 20 years old. Wow. And uh, I was at, I got in touch with them because I was working with the NIH on some issues related to drugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was at Berkeley at the time I'm doing my undergrad and I got in, and they actually got in touch with me and they said, would you like to come to the White House this summer? And I didn't, I thought it was a prank call when I got that phone call. Mm -hmm. And they said, I said, sure. You mean as an intern? They said, no, no, we want to pay you. We want you to be a researcher uh, for General McCaffrey and uh, Barry McCaffrey, of course, who's still on television and very active, a wonderful man at the time was the drug czar. He was the youngest living four-star general at the time as well as a hero of the first Gulf War. And working for him was the highlight of my life. And it's kind of been uh, uphill from there, just been working very hard since then. 
Well, I imagine your position on the issue didn't make you particularly popular at Berkeley either. So you don't seem yeah, like I, scares easily. Well, well, I talk about this in my book. I, I, I rarely talk about myself and sort of why I'm involved. But when I wrote the book, the publisher and the editor said, well, wait a minute, that there's one question you didn't answer. And I said, well, it, what do you mean? Is it about the science about mental health? Do you mean about what, how kids are affected? Do you mean about driving this? And no, 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 no. We want to know about you. Why are you involved? What happened? What have you done? And so I did kind of reluctantly, I dug deep personally with my family and, you know, they are, were immigrants in the 1960s to the United States and have been really a kind of a American success story, I guess you could say. And uh, the things that they sacrificed, you know, for me. And um, so I did dig deep and, and I talked about my time at Berkeley and how I started a group at Berkeley called Citizens for a Drug-Free Berkeley, um, which wow. <laughs> uh, I always joke was about as popular as the Coalition for a Wine-Free France, I think. Uh, so, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I learned about how to talk to people who you disagree with, uh, and really, very importantly, how to talk to people who are really don't know where they stand on something. They've never thought about it much. Maybe they're not think, you know, this isn't like a top, top issue for a lot of people, unless right. you've lived through the experience of recovery or something, addiction. Right. But basically I learned how to talk to people that were kind of in the middle on the issues and how to kind of bring them over, win them over with your arguments. So it was a very valuable lesson being at Berkeley. I, I, I loved my time there. Well, that's an important skill and something we really try to train our leaders in at Concerned Women for America. And that maybe would surprise some people. Um, we are involved in coalitions. Uh, right. One of, I think, the most infamous is our coalition work with Women's Liberation Front, who are self-described radical feminists, and mm -hmm. many of them are lesbians and bisexuals. And we've joined together on um, some really hot social issues like the transgender issue, women's sports mm -hmm. particularly. Um, and we've worked alongside Sam, because again, you all recognize that this is, there's some real um, fallout for our society. Yeah. And we, when we, and I think we are getting this wrong, the trends are wrong. So let's, yeah. let's go to that. Um, Kevin, let's talk about kind of where we are as a nation, where, yeah. where we've gone and, and answer the question for the person that's listening that you know, when they were a teenager in the 60s or 70s or yeah. whatever, they got high on marijuana. It wasn't that big of a deal. Why is everybody all upset? Yeah, well, we've kind of in the last hundred years of our country, we've gone back and forth. We've swung back and forth on this issue. In the early 1900s, drugs were readily available. Cocaine, opioids, uh, you know, all kinds Coca -Cola, of marijuana. Right, absolutely. Coca-Cola, absolutely. Yeah. First ingredient or, or first recipe had, had uh, cocaine as an ingredient. Uh, cocaine was used by baseball players for endurance very openly. Uh, we had coca wine. We had uh, Vin Mariani, which had cocaine. I mean, that we had that in our, and then we, 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 we suffered some of the consequences. And actually, interestingly, you know, marijuana, a lot of marijuana came from Mexico in the early 1900s. The Mexicans actually deemed marijuana illegal before we did because they saw the negative effect it was, it was having on their population. Um, so then we made drugs illegal. And, and there may have been a time where we went overboard on that in terms of exaggerating some of the harms. People have heard of reefer madness, et cetera. Then there was a reaction to that. And it was the what, the 80s? Would, when would you no, say? No, no, I, I, I'm still talking of, you know, the 20s and 30s and okay. 40s. Okay. Um, 
Um, and then we had the reaction to that, which was the 60s and 70s, right? We had the counterculture movement where it was all about sticking it to the man. And like you said, you know, Woodstock and smoking weed and all of that. And then like what we were saying in the 80s, we had a total backlash to that. We had Just Say No. We had the devastation of the crack epidemic and all of that. And now we've gone to back the other way with marijuana, at least. And, sure. and actually, I would argue even with other drugs, I, you know, if people think that legalization is only about marijuana, they don't really know this, the situation because folks want to legalize all drugs at this point. But but um, but marijuana is, you know, they, they, we've had this growing acceptance over the last 25 years. It started with a brilliant PR move by the legalization movement, which was calling marijuana medicine. Um, and by calling marijuana medicine, it gave permission to the American people to be okay with it and to actually want it and to say it was great. And, you know, I'm not arguing that there are, uh, there are medicinal properties within the marijuana plant if properly extracted and prescribed by the FDA, but that's very, very different than just giving a 20 year old or anybody a joint for their backache, you know, or cause they want to relax. I mean, that's not really medicine the way we normally- or whatever. Right. I, I, I will tell you that I had a conversation. I think it's okay for me to say this. I don't think he would mind with uh, Senator Rand Paul, who tends yes. to, you know, he's, he's conservative, but he's kind of libertarian too. Yes, and, and on yes. this issue he's kind of libertarian. Yes. And, yes, um, he and he's, he was saying, well, you know, I have a, a, for instance, a dad that lives, lives in my, in the state of Kentucky and he has a, a child who has seizures and he really sure. believes that cannabis or yeah marijuana or whatever right. that it, it actually treats that, that whatever you know what whatever right. that is and i said well i said senator i don't think that's what we're all arguing about exactly and i right. said if that all it was that is there was a prescription for you know people that was very yeah. specific in the treatment and it was real yeah. i don't I'm not going to argue about that. I don't, that's really not where we're coming down on this. I don't, that's not really, I think that's a, that's a useful argument, but I don't, that's not really where this is shaking out. You're hundred percent right. You're hundred people shift. Unfortunately, they shift the discussion when they say, well, wait a minute, marijuana is okay because some kid needs seizures. Well, that's has seizures. Well, that's totally different. I mean, that's a medicinal reason with a very special medical formulation of what that kid would get. That is not what we're talking about when we talk about today's potent marijuana. You know, in Woodstock days in the 60s and 70s, the average marijuana joint was 4%. Now the average joint is 20%. And the average marijuana item is now, you know, can be 90 up to 99% with these waxes and dabs. So it has nothing to do with the old marijuana of the 60s and 70s, and, and let alone the medical formulation that Senator Paul was talking about. All right. So hold that thought. We're going to go to an ad, but when we come back, we're going to talk about that a little bit, like what the new incarnation of, uh, marijuana is and really why did states get it wrong when they were writing their laws and you know really what is the motivation for the marijuana companies and the the marijuana lobby right now including john boehner so hold that thought we'll be back in just a moment with concerned women today hey ladies you're smart passionate and savvy you care about your family and you care about our nation that's why you should join concerned women for america I'm Penny Nance, President and CEO of Concerned Women for America, and I pray you will visit ConcernedWomen.org to learn how you can add your voice to the largest public policy women's organization in the nation. That's ConcernedWomen.org. 
Joining me today is Kevin Sabet with Smart Approaches to Marijuana, which is a great organization, a very thoughtful organization. I wouldn't call them wing nuts. They're not right wing <laughs> extremists. They're very actually very moderate on the policy of marijuana. And um, Kevin and I have been discussing, you know, where we're going as a nation on this. What's the fallout? So Kevin, when we left, we were talking about the difference between weed that, uh, you know, some of my friends maybe smoked in the 80s right. or, you know, whatever versus and probably even before that, I guess a lot of people. Yeah. Know, um, not my parents, by the way, <laughs> um, and not me, by the way. Um, but what is the difference, though, between that? Because I think they have this mm -hmm. misconception of, you know, what their experience was from some plant that they grew in a pot on a windowsill versus right. the um, large corporate apparatus and the products that are available now. Well, it's totally different than the old marijuana. And I, I call, you know, there's old marijuana and new marijuana. Old marijuana is anything from five years ago and before, basically, because marijuana has been genetically bred now to be totally different than what it used to be. It's, you know, we're talking these waxes, these dabs, shatter, and a lot of people don't have know any idea what I'm talking about when yeah, I say tell those us words. What that, what's a dab? Tell us what that so is. So a dab is basically a concentrated THC um that is uh, it's sort of like a sticky substance that you then have to heat up and vaporize and then inhale you wouldn't know what it was if you saw it. nobody would know what it was unless you're a regular user you wouldn't know what it was if you did you know so parents not going to recognize it if it's no oh, absolutely not and then you have these e-cigarettes where you can now use these marijuana cartridges thc cartridges kids call them carting carts or carting and they cart uh with thc and that can you're be hidden in one of these, this, right? They can vape it. Yeah. I mean, okay. usually when, when so it's you're not to vape, up a joint now you're vaping it and you can't really even, can you smell it? Not really. No, um, you, you, no, you can't. And so it's not like the old days where you could smell it out of the boys locker room or something. We're, we're just talking about a completely different drug. And I just, I don't think that that is known by a lot of the American. Oh, I'm people. sure it's not. I'm sure it's not, you know, it, it's, it's kind of too bad. Cause I really think there's a lot of parents that have no idea um, what their kids are doing on a whole range of issues. Right. Sometimes we are the last to know is, you know, as much as we try, parents don't always get it right. We work really hard and, um, and I don't blame them, but this is why we, you know, why people tune in is to learn about this issue. And, and so you're educating us on that. So it's right. highly concentrated. Yes. It's a different drug. Is it addictive? Absolutely. And is it a gateway? Yeah. Well, the answer is yes to both, but yes for some people. So when, when I'm saying yes, it doesn't mean that every single person who uses will be addicted or will go on to use heroin or something. Um, just like every single person who speeds on the freeway won't get into a car accident. Well, but that doesn't mean you should speed, right? Because when you speed, you, you increase the chances of that happening. When you use marijuana, you absolutely increase the chance of becoming addicted. You can be addicted to marijuana. It's a huge myth that you can't be, but you can. In fact, a new study by NIH came out two weeks ago showing that there was twice as many kids addicted to marijuana than alcohol or cigarettes, you know, among those users, uh, which oh, wow. was surprising. Wait, hang on. Let's let's think about that for just a second. Twice the amount of kids. And that's what kids under the age of 18, 18. Well, there was yeah, 12 to 17, mm -hmm. 12 to 17 are addicted to marijuana, addicted. They've been able to addicted. actually, you know, 
Yeah, they they, they, they call it a cannabis. Yeah, they call it a cannabis use disorder. It means that you've basically um, you kind of fall under these criteria of different uh, of things that that scientists would uh, say is about you know uh, uh, what an addiction is, but it's called can the, the, the technical name is cannabis use disorder. Yeah, well, which basically means you can't function in life without it. That's what that means. Right. I mean, so how heartbreaking is that it already Very. from 12 to 17, that there is some substance, whatever the substance is. I mean, you know, right. to, oh, yeah. tac- tobacco vaping is bad too, by the way. Terrible. I mean, we're, we oppose Terrible. all of that. And I was Terrible. very clear um, in working inside the Trump administration that I mm-hmm. thought we needed stronger rules on vaping because, yeah. because of this, it's a, it's a public health menace to our kids. So, all right. It so is. we've got kids that are addictive. It's, even more kids than alcohol. Yes, it's even more kids than alcohol and cigarettes. And that's surprising because cigarettes were always considered the most addictive drug because for adults, they are even more than heroin. I mean, tobacco is extremely addictive, but uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. The, the, it's, and it's because of the high potency, you know, marijuana that we see today. And I, again, I don't think, I don't think people realize that at all. I'm sure they don't. So let's talk about, um, the why there's been this shift besides the backlash of the public that you know the pendulum shifts back and forth i fully expect politically the pendulum is going to swing back more conservatively in the next election cycle um but tell me what's behind all the money that's been spent you know i mean i think i'm answering my own question here all the money i find shocking when you find the former speaker of the house John Boehner is the spokesperson running around the country on his book tour, bad mouthing yeah. conservatives and touting yeah. marijuana. What happened? Like what happened? How did this get to be a front and center issue? And why are they making so many gains on the state issues? And then one last question on that is why couldn't they just have written the law? If, if there are people that really do benefit and I don't know, I mean, apparently some people think they do and some may, some doctors think they do. Why could they not written the state laws so that it actually was beneficial and not harmful? So there's one word that's the answer to all of your questions <laughs> and we'll unpack it. And that one word is money. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Boehner stands to make $20 million if he can get federal legalization forward. That's public. That's out there. We've exposed it. Others have. That's not a- He has a, a contract for that? Yeah, essentially from a marijuana company, if he's able to push that forward. It's $20 million oh, payday, which is going to pay him a lot more money than even the, the book is going to be paying him. So that's the first thing. The second thing with money is that three billionaires essentially financed this movement starting 25 years ago, and that's when it really picked up steam. Those and 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 it's not just from billionaires from the left; uh, it's also libertarians. So you have George Soros, who's you know we all know, yeah. but then you also have John uh, Peter Lewis, who is a libertarian founder of Progressive Insurance, as well as John Sperling, also more or less a libertarian billionaire who founded the University of Phoenix, which is of course the you know most profitable for-profit university, I think in the world. Well, I don't and, know. I, I mean, yeah. I know who Soros is, but I, I didn't yeah. know the, even heard of the other two really. Yeah, no, I know they're kind of like lurking in the background, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, so, so this is something that um, this has been very, uh, you know, this has been planned and it started with, you know, focus on medical marijuana, get, let people ease into this issue, don't go for the jugular for legalization, and then little by little by little build support. And they've done a brilliant job at that. I mean, I I, I will hand it to them. They've done a great job. 
-hmm. Thankfully, you know, the scientific community, although they're not necessarily the most adept politicians, because that's not their job, they've been very clear. I mean, every major medical association opposes the legalization of marijuana. Every major medical group says, this is problematic. This is addictive. This is not a good idea. So that's like, like the AMA. The American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Ch uh, Pediatric Association. The, yeah, again, not uh, right-wing organizations. No, no, not at These are all groups that lobbied for the Affordable Care Act. I mean, this right. is a, these aren't these aren't right-wing groups, and that that's like a, this mis, big misnomer sure. um, that unfortunately is perpetuated by you know a, a lot of people on the left that this is like this crazy right-wing thing. Well, just yesterday, Senator Gene Shaheen from New Hampshire, who's not exactly a right-winger, uh, the Democratic senator from New Hampshire, she um, came out and said she's not comfortable with legalization. She's against it. They have an opioid problem. They don't want to make it yes, worse. They do. This is. And, and so does so did uh, Senator Tester from Montana, Democrat. He said legalization would create many more problems than it would solve. I mean, he's they're right. And by the way, I will say President Biden has been clear against marijuana legalization as well. And he is other than Bloomberg was the only Democratic candidate to have the courage to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, when people say, well, if you're a Democrat, you have to be in favor of it. No, you don't. The president of the United States isn't in favor of it, and he didn't lose. So this idea that it's like this litmus test, or should be, I think, is also perpetuated by the marijuana lobby. Yeah, and you don't have to agree uh, with, you know, Republicans or conservatives to recognize no. that we do have a, we have such a drug epidemic in this country, and the that opioid epidemic and um, the crisis in this country um, that we are feeling so acutely is only boosted by more drugs. <laughs> more Absolutely. Nobody thinks that our country needs to be more high no. <laughs> and well, more numb like, and more drugs. Right. Nobody thinks right. that. Right. I mean, like what fam or think about your own family. I mean, this is my, my thing. Like you want to legalize drugs, do it in your own family among your kids and let us know how it goes. I mean, right. tell your kids you can, you're allowed to use. As I mean, what, Right. What mother says, I wish my husband and son would use marijuana, we'd be a better family. Or, you know, what policeman or woman says, you know, if only more people use marijuana, we'd be better off. It, it's just, it's very sad. Or what teacher, what teacher looks at their classroom and says, if only these kids were high, we'd be better off as a society. Or if I were high, we'd be better off as a society. It's just, it's, right. it's really sad. And it comes down to money. There are a small number of groups that are going to make a ton of money. Not everybody, by the way. I mean, this idea that you're going to mint black millionaires and it's going to be social justice is just ludicrous. completely wrong. Ludicrous. It's it ludicrous. hurts their communities that they, it, it, this course. is how this, sorry. And I, I know you're not a right winger, but this is as a conservative, I see this over yeah. and over and over again in policy that unintended or careless policies often hurt the very groups that they pretend that they're actually going to support. And I think this is a perfect example of that. Minority communities, it's always the people on the fringes of society that are hurt the worst by this kind of like false notion of, of sincere help for them. It's just not. Well, it's, it is going to hurt because who's hurt most by you know, liquor stores popping up right. everywhere or tobacco. I mean, it's not me and my friends, to be honest with you. If I have to get a drug problem, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to go to rehab. I'll, I'll get a job Send after. Your kid off. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll, I probably won't get a record. Like, I'll be fine. Like, I have connections. My family knows people. We're good. But if you're a kid from the South Bronx 
good luck. For, I mean, how my, is this? my neck of the woods from Appalachia, you know, we, oh, well, we, you know, hillbilly heroin, oxy and, you know, all of that has just destroyed a, an entire generation of people. Well, it is, you know, what's, what's disgusting. fascinating about Appalachia is that, um, you know, when you're a predatory industry, whether you're alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, opioids, you target people who have a harder time getting out of a bad thing, yeah, basically. And, and, and who did the opioid manufacturers target? They targeted Appalachia. They targeted rural poor whites. Yeah. That, that's who they targeted. Now, sure. alcohol and tobacco have targeted blacks and like menthol and all of that. We can have a discussion. But opioids were not targeted. They were not targeting black or Hispanics. They were targeting white people, rural, poor white people. And look what happened. Well, there's so, numbers for that. So what, you know, why not? Right. Exactly. Um, but it, to your point, it's all about money. Um, it's all about money. One last question, because unfortunately this is fascinating. One last question. And then I want you to tell everybody that's listening how to follow sure. you, what to do to sure. get involved in what you're doing to get more information. Sure. Why sure. could the States, and maybe you already said it, is it simply just that the, the, the financial, uh, the financial pressure was to mm. all or nothing on marijuana legalization and laws in the states. Why could they not have actually used common sense in trying to approach this issue? Well, because it was very big financed uh, uh, ballot initiatives that were very tricky, and they basically told people that they could that this would be about medicine, even though it wasn't, or it would help veterans. Well, it's so or broadly it written for what it was actually going to treat, it right? It was very broadly written Anything, and millions basically. and millions of dollars were behind it in a ballot initiative. I mean, that's how this whole thing started. And then little by little, you saw legislatures a little bit come in, but um, it, it, it would, people were tricked because of the money. They were tricked and they're seeing the fallout now. They're seeing it in, uh, you know, I, I read something recently in Colorado, the mm -hmm. high percentage of newborns that they're yeah. uh, testing positive for THC in their bloodstream. And, you know, it's the chaos that ensues when you have terrible policies that are built on a lie, frankly. Um, and, and I would say true. to John Boehner and to anybody who is taking money from, from, the big corporate marijuana interest is what should he gain a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Like mm -hmm. this is at the end of the day, you're better than this. I know you're better. Than, yeah. I know John Boehner. I, you know, and I like him. I've, I worked with him back in the day and I just, I'm disappointed because I think he's better than this and I hope he comes to his senses. But anyway, I, all of this, how can they, how can people follow you, Kevin? And well, so so my new book is called Smokescreen, What the Marijuana Industry Doesn't Want You to Know. And you can find that at any bookseller. It came out yesterday. It just hit number one Amazon new releases. Uh, so I'm very excited about it. Thank you. So Smokescreen, you can read all about just kind of the underbelly of the marijuana industry. I, I tried to write something that was interesting to read. So check it out. Um, you can follow me at Kevin Sabet. Uh, you can go to our website, learnaboutsam.org. Also follow us on Twitter at Learn About Sam, and we're always looking for partnerships. And we've had a wonderful partnership with you all and Concerned Women for America, and we want to keep keep going. Well, I I know we follow you at CWA, but I'm following you right now personally at PY Nance, and uh, thank you. We are excited about what our partnership and working. We're yes. willing to work across um, party lines and thought process so in order to try to actually um, make our country better and to protect yes. this next generation of kids. So Kevin, thank you. God thanks bless so you. And uh, you too. we appreciate you coming on. Have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Penny. Thanks.
Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, the nation's largest public policy women's organization. For more information, visit concernedwomen.org. That's concernedwomen.org. Thank you.